you know, drawing inanimate objects and doing, you know, trying to paint them or or reproduce them on on canvases. And, and it was I spent the first two years of art school really, I think, just studying um, inanimate objects and kind of doing master studies of, of other paintings. That's Adam Manoa. I'm Greg Baird. You're listening to the Photo Gregor Podcast. Okay, today we're listening to Adam Manoa's interview. It's part two. If you didn't listen to the first part, I'd appreciate a listen. And it'll kind of set up what we're talking about in this episode. To see Adam's artwork unfold while we talk, please go to adammanoa.com. That's A-D-A-M-M-U-N-O-A.com. And we'll get right into it. Okay, so we're back with Adam Manoa. We talked last time about some of his early years, the things that started him out in drawing and art, um, some of the some of the things that helped him uh, really learn how to focus as as an academic as well. Um, welcome back to the program, Adam. Thanks for having me back. You're welcome. Uh, I've I'm super just entertained by this idea that uh, that. Uh, you know, you're kind of a, I guess you could say from the last episode we talked about, you were kind of a, oh, maybe an unfocused kid, um, yeah. at least academically. I'd say that's fair. <laughs> and, and, then, and then you talked about graduating with high honors at the university. Um, so let's talk about what, what happened after university. Obviously, you've got a, you've got a beautiful family um, and, and all that, but let's talk about your art. like. How did you get from graduating uh, with high academic honors to being a professional artist? This is I, I, that's just cool to me. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of an interesting story. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff still kind of peppered in there that you know is, would make for for good for good talks. But um, the uh, the kind of the transition from um, perfect or from amateur, I guess, to professional was was a lot of hard work. Um, so I came into school kind of knowing how to draw, um, a little bit. And I, once again, kind of seems to be the pattern. I come in as this cocky kid and then I'm kind of like beat down where I'm like, Oh, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And I need to get better. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, it, with art, I was kind of the big fish in a small pond, you know, in my high school and, and then was around friends and, and even on, on the mission, you know, I was, I was the artist. And, um, anyways, I came to school and started studying illustration and I came in kind of knowing how to draw knowing how to shade, knowing how to do the basics, but I was terrified of color, you know, even though I'd had that training previous with that, with the one Disney guy, but I was, I was kind of, kind of scared cause I could look at something and, and copy the colors from that, but to make my own colors up or make my own color palette or whatever was kind of terrifying. But, um, so I started back in school. And I remember taking a, a drawing class just to kind of get my feet wet and uh, just kind of start like, okay, I need to get back into it. And so I, I started kind of drawing and, and, and it kind of went from drawing what I wanted to draw to drawing what the, the professor would put in front of us. So um, one, one lesson that was really interesting to me, um, and I wish I remembered this guy's last name. I just remember him as Mike. <laughs> But he he was one of my professors, and he set up this this scenario for us where um, he had us divide our our paper, our big pads of paper, up into several sections, 
and he gave us all these objects to draw from our mind, and it was all fruit and vegetables. And so he's like, draw a carrot, draw a potato, draw an apple, draw an orange, draw these things. And we all just kind of drew the generic shapes, you know, mm. what we thought they looked like in our mind. Then he pulled out the actual objects. And on the other side, we had to do the comparison drawing. And I remember from there, it was kind of like my first awakening to like figurative drawing, where all of a sudden here I am, like I've been drawing from my mind for so long that I've forgotten how to how to see. And so Mike um, set it up for all of a sudden we, the carrot I drew looked like a carrot, but the carrot that he provided for us to draw was so much more interesting. It was crooked and twisted and, you know, had these little hairs on it and just, it looked totally different than my Bugs Bunny looking carrot that I had drawn on the other side of the page. And with that, it brought this awareness to me of like really studying life and really studying what the objects look like in the real world. And then I ended up transferring universities and kind of that same process where I started taking figure drawing classes and we were studying anatomy and studying how the human body um, looks superficially, you know, as far as the muscles and skin structures and bone structures. And, and we really kind of started really diving into like how those things are put together. And then we had other academic classes that we were, you know, drawing inanimate objects and doing, you know, trying to paint them or, or reproduce them on, on canvases. And, and it was I spent the first two years of art school really, I think, just studying um, inanimate objects and kind of doing master studies of, of other paintings. Um, and that, to me, was was really beneficial because um, you kind of have to break a racehorse, you know what I'm saying? Where you come in and you're kind of hot stuff, and I was a pretty good cartoonist and whatever, but I didn't know how to really draw on a professional level. And so those first two years at uh, school really taught me how to see and how to interpret and how to um, put my own spin on things and uh, and really produce, um, f- you know, figurative work that looked like the object I was trying to interpret, whether it was a person, whether it was an inanimate object. And uh, and I loved it. I, I was I was kind of frustrated, you know, at first, because, like, I don't think I'll ever draw like this. But, you know, I had some amazing professors that really taught me, you know, how to look and see. And um, about that same time, I was, you know, like most, you know, kids in their 20s, I was into video games. And I had a professor, his name was Will Terry, still a dear friend to this day. And he he talked a lot about sacrifice and about giving up certain things. Like, look, if you want to be a professional, you got to be willing to sacrifice things in order to get to that level. And, you know, the time that you spend playing a video game could be time that you're spending in the studio painting or drawing or you know, researching for a project. And it really hit me um, because I had, I had done drawings before that maybe were three, four hours, you know, max, but I'd never done like a five-hour painting or a 10-hour painting or a 20-hour painting. And when I started taking, um, when I stopped, well, I shouldn't say stop. I've always been taking the, the, the figurative kind of drawing and uh, those types of classes. But when I started taking more of the illustrative classes where I had to uh, compose and create you know, stories with the scenarios that were given to us, it, um, it became really important to me where I was like, okay, well, I can waste hours and hours playing this game, or I can really try to perfect my craft. Or I could really, you know, dive into, to really, um, mastering what it was that I, that I had to do. 
And it, and it felt like those first two years of college where I was studying how to look and see, all of a sudden I was put in these illustrative classes where we're doing children's books or we're doing um, narrative or we're doing video game design or, or whatever. And I could take the objects that we had to design, whether it was for a video game or a children's book, and I could look at an object and then I could caricature it. I could draw it in an you know, asymmetrical shape. I could make it interesting for the project. And and I felt like those two years of kind of really struggling through the, the learning process really started to kind of um, define a style. And you'll, you hear that a lot in illustration, like, how do I find a style? How do I, what is my style? And if you look at my work, there's, there's, I think there's a style, but it wasn't necessarily like, I felt like it was discovered over years of, of working through, uh, through drawing uh, problems. Um, where also now I just kind of know how I draw things which is kind of weird to say. Yeah, but, so so I wanted to break in there. I, I We forgot at the beginning of the episode, we, last time we pointed people to Adam's oh, yeah. website so that, so that you could watch him draw. His time lapses are just amazing. Um, why don't you say your website so that as you're talking about uh, these things and, you know, as you talk about making caricatures, adding personality to these inanimate objects, we want them to see them. How do they find you online? So you can find me at adammanoa.com, which is A-D-A-M-M-U-N-O-A.com. And that's my, my professional website. Um, social media, you can find me at manoa13, M-U-N-O-A-1-3. And that's on Instagram and on uh, YouTube as well. Yeah, so if you're, if you're listening to this and, and, and you're curious, it's kind of weird to talk about a visual medium in a completely audio format. So, <laughs> so pull up YouTube, pull up his website and just kind of look around. I mean, it, it's so fascinating to me. I've been following him for about, I'd say two years now. Um, and gosh, you know, some of the stuff he puts together, I think, wow, that is amazing. And then he keeps going, you know, he, you know, he doesn't finish the drawing when I think it's amazing. He finishes <laughs> the drawing when it's done, which is a completely different thing <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So, so university life led you to, really breaking down things and seeing them rather than just knowing them. Yeah. Well, you know, I had artists that I'd followed and admired and, you know, they were inspirational as well, but I really kind of started to discover who I was as an art, as an artist, what I wanted to draw, what I wanted to paint, how I wanted to draw and how I wanted to paint too. And, um, kind of the cool thing is about, I think the end of my sophomore year, um, I started getting work. <laughs> You know, people started calling me up for, for illustration jobs or professors would, you know, recommend me for, you know, this gig or that gig, which was super flattering. And uh, did it cut into school? Um, No. And yes, <laughs> <laughs> it would for me. Um, But all, all of a sudden I started to kind of have this fork in the road where I'm like, OK, well, I'm going to school. I'm studying what I want to study. And for me, I really, I had other artist friends that kind of dropped out of school and continued to, to get freelance work. But for me, I really, the goal was I wanted to finish um, that undergraduate degree. And so I, I did take some jobs and others I turned away. But ultimately, I, I just kept kind of working through school and, and started getting more and more clients and more and more requests for certain things, and which was cool. I started kind of building like a, a brand, if you will um around well, and that's super cool because you graduate with uh with a clientele already almost mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of one of the things that like i i feel fortunate for the people that were in um my life as instructors 
um, Perry Stewart, Don Sigmiller, Will Terry were all um, extremely vital in kind of helping me to not just have like schoolwork for the sake of schoolwork, but really make a portfolio where I could get a job right out of school. And for an artist, that's that's kind of hard. Like sometimes they tell you, like, look, plan on five years, you know, working at some other place before you're going to get a a full time gig. And um, so I, I kind of figured out how to kind of work the system a little bit at school where I would get assignments. Um, and rather than trying to illustrate how my professors would illustrate, I would say, okay, if, if I was given that job, um, how would I illustrate it? Then all of a sudden I started really de- building this portfolio where all of a sudden I had all this work that was kind of metaphorical, I guess, or, or was, you know, um, it wasn't real, but all of a sudden I had real assignments with my drawings attached to them and clients would see that and be like, Oh, I love this. You know, tell me about it. And I said, well, it was a project in school and this is the thing. And they're like, great. We would love for you to do that for us. And, uh, so it was, it was really kind of a cool experience to, at to build a portfolio the last two years of school and graduate with a pretty strong portfolio. In fact, at my, my senior, um, project, we called it our BFA show, the bachelor of fine arts. Um, but at my Bachelor's of Fine Arts show, I was approached by a uh, a guy who owned a small video game studio, and he hired me on the spot to come in as a as a background painter. And so here I was, I was finishing up my undergrad. I was, you know, I'd spend a lot of time networking, you know, in, in L.A. and Burbank. And then all of a sudden, this opportunity arose for me to work in Utah um, at a video game st- studio, drawing and painting what I want to draw and paint um, from the get go. So it was, it was kind of a cool experience where it just showed you like, you know, working hard, you know, developing the right content and then being in the right place at the right time, um, really kind of helped, uh, start my career off almost from the get go right after graduation. So let me ask you, did, did I, I know this, none of this is negative. It led you where you are now, yeah. but, but, uh, did it bother you a little bit that you were painting backgrounds rather than doing, uh, the, the main characters and, and foreground stuff? No, um, because the cool thing was, is that that studio, um, I was painting backgrounds, but we had another guy who was designing all the backgrounds, but he would hand us his illustrations and then we would go and basically refine them and fine tune them. And we could paint with color where he was just kind of painting like grays on grays, where we're all of a sudden adding all this, this vast color palette. And then after that first kind of little bit working at the studio, we started, me and another friend, we started getting um, like total environments to design where we got to, you know, we'd get the narrative and say, okay, this is, this is the goal of what we want this to look like here. You, you're in charge of this background. You're in charge of these assets. And I treated them like characters, you know, I treated them, you know, rather than drawing a building, you know, I was, I was putting character and personality into it. Even if it was for like a sci-fi, um, um, type of project but all of a sudden like the boss saw that the other people started seeing that and then we kind of slowly me and my my friend who'd he he didn't graduate but he'd he'd come along with me we both gotten hired um his name's Stuart craig but we we kind of both moved up into kind of designers where we started doing character design we started doing animation for the project we started doing um kind of a lot um we started wearing a lot of different hats right away. So, I mean, within like maybe like six to eight weeks, we, we went on and we were, we were not only background painters, but we were animators and character designers. And 
the cool thing is the final product of the game a lot of our our characters made it into uh the final product which i thought was really flattering and really cool um to be a, a new junior artist and then all of a sudden and essentially we were both promoted to art directors and and senior artists um within That's cool. a matter of months did you play that game was it fun to play yeah yeah super fun um it's called dub wars you can go find it on steam dub wars um, dub wars so you know the dubstep music yeah so it was uh what happened is you have a little uh icon it was like a spaceship and it would fly through this environment and then when the music was like like hitting like you get like a beat or whatever it would it would fire off a weapon and so you basically had to point your ship in the right direction to kill enemies and stuff and so it was it was cool we listened to a lot of dubstep for a while awesome yeah i think uh you're just young, younger enough than I am that I there's no way I could listen to that much dubstep. <laughs> but but uh, uh, that sounds like that sounds like a dream job, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it, it was great. But then it kind of came down to it was a startup company, and and then we were, we were getting paid, which is great. But I wasn't willing to work on a macaroni and cheese um, salary, and so I kind of made the 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 goal or the decision that i was going to go freelance and so i kind of talked with Stuart and ended up going talking to my boss and let him know that i was going to leave and go full or freelance and uh he was awesome and you know kind of wished me all the best and then i kind of started my freelance career and uh it's been awesome i've kind of jumped all over the place and I, i'll still go and work at a studio occasionally for you know if i take a you know three to five month contract but ultimately now as a freelancer, you know, I could, I could choose what I wanted to work on. I could choose projects. I could, you know, my schedule was my own, which was really nice. So, yeah. So that to me sounds scary. I, I like stability and <laughs> jumping around and being a freelancer just doesn't sound like stability to me. Um, was that scary to you? Yeah. But once again, kind of going back to the previous episode, you know, I was a little bit more of a a free spirit. I mean, I'd, I'd grown up and I matured and, and whatever, but I really wanted to kind of set my own path and I wanted to, you know, not just kind of get pigeonholed into or towed into like one specific thing. I wanted to, I wanted to kind of branch out and try a bunch of different types of illustration. And kind of the neat thing about that, about going freelance is all of a sudden, um, I started kind of taking a lot of different styles of jobs. Um, so my, my years in college, I spent learning how to draw and how to see, and I turned into this kind of, um, I don't want to say a Swiss army knife of an illustrator, but people would call me like, Hey, can you draw this in this style? I'm like, of course. Or can you, you know, do a family portrait of us, you know, realistically? Sure. You know? And so I, I ended up kind of like really using the full arsenal of what I'd learned in art school as a freelancer to take on a variety of different jobs. And so since then, I've had the opportunity to work in live action. I've had the opportunity to work in video games. I've had the opportunity to work in children's books, uh, interactive children's software, uh, marketing, promotional stuff. You know, so there, there's 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 all these different styles and genres which I've been able to kind of work in because of my my training in in art school earlier on. It's funny. Hey, hey, can you draw my family? Yeah, only if you like He-Man muscles. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because some people will say, I'm like, how do you want it? Do you want it realistic? Do you want them cartoon? Do you want it caricatured? You know, there's there's a lot of stuff that I've got to, a lot of questions I've got to ask to to know because when you see some of my work, especially my earlier work, I was doing a lot of caricature. And uh, 
And so I got to make sure like, okay, are you an old client that, or an old fan that, that likes that stuff? Or are you, you wanting something that's more modern and cartoony? Yeah. Communication is the key, right? Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, what inspires you now? I mean, I mean, you're, you're a longtime professional in this career. Um, what kind of jobs really excite you? Uh, not just on a, on a paycheck and a job level, but, uh, but, uh, as just projects you enjoy, what, what things excite you? Um, I think the ones that excite me the most are where they, the client will allow me to just be me. Um, like the, the art, the art jobs where I'm heavily art directed are, are fine. And it's part of the, the job where it's, you know, someone's paying you money to draw cartoons, which is a phenomenal concept, <laughs> but, but ultimately, you know, your, your job is to produce you know, something viable for the client. But when they kind of just let me do me, it's it's so much more rewarding because then it's like you're getting like the real Adam, the real Manoa, Manoa touch, if you will, where I get to kind of really draw how I would draw it versus how you think I should draw it, <laughs> which is kind of weird. It's like sometimes I like I'll, I'll get people that are that are businessmen or that are um you know, not creative at all. And they're trying to tell me how to draw something when they've hired me to draw it for them. You know, it's like, well, you like this, let me just do that. You know, when there's like, you know, it's, it's, it's all part of the game, like I said, but. Or they'll say, Hey, just draw something. And I don't know what I want, but I'll know it when I see it. Oh, that's my, like my biggest pet peeve. And I, I kind of stop people right there. And early on in my career, I would, I would waste time trying to, to, to please the ghost to find that yeah please the ghost that's a great a great way to to say it but um but now i say look i'm on the clock and you're hiring me for this and if if we're going to go that that back and forth it's it's going to cost you a lot of money and 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 whatever and ultimately you know if you want me to explore that's great but this is my this is my day rate if you'd want me just to sit down and draw all day for you and some people are really cool with that, and other people are like, oh, well, I didn't think of it. I thought you just liked to draw. I'm like, well, it's my profession, you know? And yeah, but I, I want yeah, to but treat I can, it seriously. I can draw something else in less time for for the same amount of money, yeah. so give me some give me some uh, direction, yeah. yeah. Well, um, the thing is, I've spent a lifetime kind of getting to that, you Yeah. Know? so I, it may take me a short time to maybe whip something up or do the final render, but I've really spent a lifetime kind of perfecting that craft so I can do that that quickly. Right. So let's talk to the younger artists and, 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 uh, and I don't mean just artists as in drawing, but I'm talking about all of the arts. What, yeah. What's your advice to young people who are looking at pursuing the arts as, uh, as a pursuit for them? Um, I would just tell them to find a genre or medium that they're passionate about and, and really just kind of make sacrifices for it. Um, you may be a good pencil sketcher, but you really got to sacrifice and put time in the chair and really learn how to master it. And uh, I'm, I'm sure some people have heard about the 10,000 hours rule. And I think it's so much more than that, where like, you know, 100 hours, you'll kind of like get a good concept on it. You know, you know, 500 hours, you'll, you know, start to get a, you know, a control over it. And then a 10,000, you've mastered it. Right. I, I can't remember what the exact thing is, but but really, you know, it's. If, if you want to work in the industry, if you want to do whatever it is professionally, you got to be willing to sacrifice and give it all, um, all of yourself to, to the career and, and 
I've had an amazing wife and supportive children, and they've kind of helped me through all that stuff. You know, I had just finished a master's degree a few years ago, and um, but they they you got to be willing to sacrifice for your craft and and uh, and be willing to spend countless hours perfecting it. I have a my dad's a musician, and my grandfather was also a musician, and uh, both successful in, in their own right. But my grandfather, he was a jazz musician. And he came home from World War II, and he play, played the piano. And I remember the story is he took my grandmother and their little baby, and they went down to Hollywood and tried to find work. And, you know, they were down to their last $50, which would basically have gotten them home to, to Utah. And uh, he got a job at a gig doing something, and he worked for the rest of his life. But he, when you'd go to his house, um, he would always, he wouldn't be playing songs. He would be practicing scales, and he'd be doing all these measures to you know, kind of perfect um, his finger placement and, and how quickly he could rip through the, the keys and do all these things. So he would play music like songs, but he was always practicing like the stuff that made the song. He was always doing things um, in his studio, you know, whether it was writing music, whether it was practicing certain parts or whether it was working with other musicians and vocalists and, and whatever. And so for me, that was a big um that was a big example to me of what I needed to do to perfect my craft. So now I'm, I'm, I'm a professional. I'm doing this every day. I'm, I'm working for amazing clients, but I still will go and practice those skills. I'll still do studies, you know, I'll still go and do, um, you know, little paintings where I'm looking at a, at a flower or I'm looking at an animal or I'm looking at, you know, an environment and I'll, I'll try to do these little things to kind of, keep learning and keep building that skill set so then I have it for when I need it. That's awesome. Um I don't think there's a better way to end this podcast by saying that um I really appreciate you. I really appreciate your insight. It's a it's a story that uh I didn't know much of when we started, but uh I do know how good you are at what you do and if you didn't go look up his websites do so now. It's social media manoa13 m u n o a 13 and also adammanoa.com um he is fantastic and i'm a fan i hope all of my listeners become fans um and i really appreciate this conversation it's been cool yeah thanks for having me on it's been it's been fun to talk about it thank you adam that was brilliant and i enjoyed it as a final thought i kind of wanted to get into uh, an experience i had solving problems in my photography I, if you don't know, I, I'm a photographer. That's what the word photogregor comes from is the word photographer. But uh, I was in Los Angeles. I packed a very, very light amount of gear, went to Los Angeles for uh, a conference. And at that conference, I had uh, I had kind of networked out to find maybe some, some dancers. That's my primary area of focus with, with photography and I networked with some of the dancers I already know they had some friends out in LA so I just set up a, a trade shoot with them so that I could you know spend my evening hours do, doing something cool the conference uh, ended you know mid-afternoon late afternoon and I was supposed to meet with this dancer and she didn't arrive until well after dark which is no problem I took a, I took one light with me I have some strobes and some studio gear but I, I was able to pack one light because I just have a little bit of extra room in my bag and I got there and she was in traffic and she didn't show up till well after dark so I thought well no problem we've got the light and when I when she got there I got the light out and I got my camera out and I realized I did not have the transmitter 
that sends the signal from the camera to the light to fire on time. So I literally, it's dark outside and I really literally just have no light with me. Um, that was really frustrating because I had no idea how I was going to get good photos. And yet um, I realized that lights, uh, strobes, studio strobes, they flash on and off really quickly, meaning they go from zero power to 100% power to zero power within a fraction of a second. And with that, you can freeze the action. And so I decided that I would take my camera and make a long exposure with the camera, meaning I would open the shutter for half a second. And then I had my friend manually, uh, I, I had a work associate with me and he manually fired the flash for me. And the dancer, you know, and I and my friend all had to coordinate our timing so that the dance move got caught on camera. And the pictures turned out really cool. What what you get is any of the constant lights that were on, like there was a, a, a billboard and some some uh, like a, a huge video screen because we're down near the the conference center in LA, and we've got this kind of blurred light effect from everything in the background, and then her frozen in time right in the front. And in some ways, she's kind of see through because you know there was so much scenery going on behind her because my shutter was open for half a second, and. The, the pictures turn out really cool. They're not my style. They're not like my typical mode, but I really enjoyed that shoot. And the thing about it is to me that it wasn't so much the, the shoot and the dancer. She was brilliant. And my friend, he was uh, super interested in the process, even though he's not a photographer. And, you know, we just had a lot of fun shooting and the, the pictures are cool. That's the bottom line is that we were able to turn something or would turn nothing into something. And we got some great shots and so what i want to say to you is um in the realm of creativity there's always room to be creative there's always room to be i guess improving your craft or uh you know th those those moments when things don't go your way that's when you test yourself and you know i was tested that day i was certainly lucky and happy with the result uh I'm really glad I had had plenty of training, but I think I'm going to incorporate into my shooting, you know, every once in a while, if I leave a key component of, of, of my equipment home on purpose, or better yet, just to vow not to use that piece of equipment, that it'll stretch me and stretch my creativity. And just like what Adam talked about with uh, sometimes you're not sure what you're going for um, all the time and you don't always have the best direction. But when you take those detriments and turn them into advantages, that to me is, that's the, that's the, like the, the bottom line of the creative process is that you work so hard to get what, to get done what you normally get done. And when things don't go your way, you still have to work hard to make sure that, that you can get a viable product. Fortunately, that was not a paid shoot with that with that dancer, so I didn't have to feel bad about charging her money to do a product that's less than my best. Even though the photos turned out cool, I probably would have refunded her anything she paid me just because of the circumstance. It's not my normal style, and you know, people hire me because they like my style. Anyway, bottom line, uh, use your creativity for for problem solving 
um, I like I like to I guess equate it to sometimes golfers will go golfing and they'll like leave three or four major you know clubs home take some of the clubs out of your bag and go out golfing and see what what you can learn and how you can grow through having less and that's my thought for today uh, I really appreciate you for listening happy holidays and I uh, I guess I'll see you next year.